Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and on this episode of The Working Therapist, we are furthering our discussion on the oral motor exam. Last time, we did a podcast on the jaw part of the oral motor assessment, and I feel that was a lot of fun to do, and we talked about the jaw for 30 minutes, and we talked about that part of the assessment. And the reason that's so important is because the jaw sort of builds a foundation for the rest of the articulator so they can move. So we really went over that in a lot of detail, what you look at for the assessment, the jaw, how it's supposed to move, what's normal, what's abnormal, how you assess that, how you treat that. So we did a whole podcast on that. It was a lot of fun, a lot of great ideas. If you haven't checked that one out, go back and listen to that one and then go and listen to this one. So today, though, we are talking about the lips, cheeks, and tongue. And the reason, let me talk a little bit more about the jaw. I love oral motor and I love oral motor assessment, so that's why I talk about this so much. But the jaw, like I said earlier, provides the foundation. So if the jaw has got a lot of weakness or can't move like it's supposed to, then the tongue, lips, cheeks can't do what they're supposed to do. The articulators basically can't move. So in an oral motor assessment, if you know that the jaw is not performing like it's supposed to and doing like it's supposed to do, then you got to go back and treat that first. So that's why you really can't move on to the cheeks, lips, and tongue. So now I'm coming into this oral motor assessment thinking, okay, well, you've assessed the jaw. It's normal, normal function, normal, all that. So now what's normal and abnormal for the lips, cheeks, and tongue? Okay, now first for the lips. The first thing to assess, much like the jaw, if when you listen to last week, much like the jaw, is just what do the lips look like? So if the jaw is open and slack, then the lips are probably going to be following along with that model, and you can assume less tone, less movement, less strength, less coordination. They just haven't really been moving their mouth. So if you imagine a child coming in and their jaws open and slack and they have an open mouth posture, then you can imagine open mouth, less tone, less strength, less coordination, less movement. They haven't really practiced a lot of pa-ba-ma sounds. So they're just not going to have the same muscle tone that another child would have. So the first thing you do is just look at the child and look at the face and what's their normal resting position. What does their mouth look like at rest? And if it's an open mouth posture, assume lack of tone in the lips. Also, remember, this is so, 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 so important. Remember this. If that's the open mouth posture is a normal resting pattern for children, they don't know anything else but that. So their normal is that. So if you keep cueing a child, close your mouth, close your mouth, close your mouth all the time, that's not normal for them. That's not their normal resting position. So you've really got to put yourself in their perspective and in their shoes and think of it that way. If your normal is to have your mouth open, slack, and open all the time, then you're not going to just automatically close your lips or just start closing your lips one day. You're not going to do that. That's not your normal position. So think of it that way. That's vitally important. Look at it from their perspective. So with the lips, first, you do want to see if they can maintain a closed lip posture. If they can't, then if they're breathing out of their mouth, their open mouth posture, and they're breathing out of the mouth, then automatically you want to assess to see if maybe they potentially could have enlarged adenoids and tonsils. And so here's some questions that I ask related to that, if enlarged adenoid tonsil questions. These are all my ENT stuff. So ask the family, does the child snore a lot? 
Normally, if children have enlarged adenoids or tonsils, they're going to snore, and just more than like a light snore. Sometimes I've seen like three-year-olds and four-year-olds who in like a daycare who are napping, who I would swear to goodness if you didn't see the child, you would think it's like a 40-year-old man and they're snoring. I mean, you could hear them out in the hallway and down at the kitchen in the daycare. It's crazy sometimes how these kids sound. So ask if they snore. Ask if there are periods of sleep apnea, you know, when the child's sleeping or snoring, and then all of a sudden you don't hear them breathing for a second, and then they sort of catch up with the snore. Two vitally important questions. Automatically, those are red flags for potentially enlarged adenoids and tonsils. You also want to ask if they're constantly breathing out of their mouth. Are there ever periods of time when their lips are closed and they're breathing out of their nose? How frequently do they have colds? Is their nose always running? Is the mom or dad or guardian saying, I'm always wiping his nose, I'm always wiping her nose, I'm always doing that? And you also want to ask the daycare teacher, because the daycare teacher, they're taking notes. The mom or dad are almost wiping noses, get to be like second nature, and you almost stop thinking about it. But the daycare teacher, she's taking notes, because she's having to wipe like 20 noses in there, and none of them are her children. And so she's taking notes. She knows exactly who's got a runny nose and how often they have a runny nose. So if there's a teacher involved, ask them. So those are all the first ENT kind of open mouth posture questions I ask. If they're snoring, if they're breathing out of their mouth all the time, if their nose are running, remember to check with the daycare lady and she knows for sure because like I said, she's taking notes. Ask those questions first and that'll tell you right off if you need to have some medical management involved because really if the tonsils are enlarged or if the adenoids are enlarged, you're not going to be able to do too much with those lips and that open mouth posture until you get that taken care of. So those questions are first. Also, you need to assess, sort of ties into it, kind of hearing. Not kind of, but all the way hearing. So if they have enlarged adenoids, if they have enlarged tonsils, if their nose is running all the time, ask again, how many ear infections do they have in a year? Just have them counted up. So how many times in the past year has your child been treating for ear infection? If it's five and over, that's an automatic. I call the pediatrician, and they need to go to the ENT. And I'll suggest that. I'll also tell the parents I suggest that. And I'll write a letter to say why I think they need to do that. Just further back up for the pediatrician or the primary care physician. Or maybe the family doesn't need a referral from the pediatrician or primary care physician. They just go straight to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, ENT. I'm not sure how that works. And each family is a little bit different. But work that out with them. But my opinion for medical management, you need that child to see an ear, nose, and throat doctor before you can really get too far with them in therapy. You can start some therapy and you can start working depending on what the overall Overall issue is, but they really have got to see an ENT for you to make a lot of progress. So that's my lips thought with an open mouth posture. Now, there's some kids you also have to check to see if there's some asymmetries. If one side of the lips are closed and the other side is open, if maybe the lips aren't closing with the lips together, if they're like asymmetrical. I've seen that sometimes where the lips are closing kind of one lips, the bottom lips over a little further than the top lip, like the jaw is moving kind of laterally side to side. That doesn't happen that often. So that's very, very rare, but I have seen that before. So you also need to assess lip clenching or when the child is closing the lips real tight or excessive tone in the lips. So a lot of times with kids with cerebral palsy, I may see there's an excessive amount of tone. Kids with CP or they'll throw you off because they can be high and low tone at the same time. So they can have wide jaw excursions, which means they're really opening that mouth real wide and closing it. They don't have a lot of in-between. They have closed and open. And so when their jaw is closed, their lips can be really tight. But really, there's not a lot of strength there. So kids with CP, you really have to assess, and they can be a little tricky because they can be high and low tone at the same time. But a lot of times kids with CP, I see, are closing their lips really tight and a lot of excessive 
tone in their face. So you want to assess that. That's kind of the next thing. How do you assess normal lip movement and adequate strength and control? So here's what you do. First things is you make sure that can the child do like a PB&M? Can they get a plosive? So can they have their lips closed without an excessive amount of tightness or are they too weak to achieve a PB&M sound? So after you assess the PB&M sounds, then you need to assess can they pucker and can they spread their lips. So I usually do because we're working with little kids here. So it's got to be fun. And most little kids, they're making faces in the mirror, but not maybe not the little child you're assessing because they're coming in to see you. So they may have less facial movement involved in general. So what you want to do is see if they can pucker their lips, like, ooh, and usually for little boys, I'll um, like make a fish face. And little girls, I'm like, oh, let's do lip, big lipstick face or whatever. I don't know. And always have a mirror there. So because it's got to be fun. So make them do the ooh sound. And I really, really exaggerate the ooh sound to get them to pucker it all. And then the e sound. So you smile real big. And we do that back and forth. And can they do ooh, e, ooh, e in succession? Usually two, three-year-olds, uh, two-year-olds, you're not going to get this. You might could get an ooh or an e, maybe. I wouldn't count on it, though. Three-year-olds, you can start to get more of this. Four and five and up, yeah, you're good. You should be able to, they can do this. So you have to do the ooh-e in rapid succession. And you want to see if they can coordinate that. That's some good strength and coordination to see if they can ooh-e, ooh-e, ooh-e for at least, I say at least three to five times. I'm not sure there's any kind of scientific data out there that says that you've got to do it five times to be normal or three times. But you do need to be able to keep that movement going in rapid succession. And when I say rapid, ooh-e, ooh-e, I don't like ooh-e, ooh-e, not, not that that's crazy, but ooh-e, ooh-e, and sort of a rhythmic back and forth, back and forth. Basically, you want to make sure the lips can move forward for puckering and back for spreading. And that's good strength and coordination if they can do that. And the jaw stays pretty stable during that. So you don't want to see a lot of excessive jaw movement. You don't want to see some tongue protrusion. You don't want to see any of that. No part of the body helping them in that movement. I've had kids before take their hands and put it on their face to help them do that, which is really stinking cute, but that's really not what you want. So a lot of times two-year-olds will do that. That's why I say they just get points for cuteness at that point. That's really all you got going on there. And three-year-olds, sometimes they're your limbo land group. Like I said, not sure if they can do this or not yet. Some three-year-olds can, some can't, but again, sometimes they'll try to do the hands on the face, which again, stinking cute points. That's what you should see. Ooh, ee, ooh, ee. And then the other thing you want to do is you want to test the top lip and the bottom lip to see if overall how is the strength and movement. And when the child has their lips closed at rest, so at a resting position, and this is going to be for older kids because there's not many three-year-olds are going to stand still for very long and let you put your hands on their lips, but some will. Well, first off, always set this up with a mirror, and I always set this up by doing have the child touch my face first before I touch their face so that they feel like they are in control of the situation because nobody likes you coming at them and want to just have, I mean, do you want anybody to come right at you and touch all over your face? I don't think so. So a child doesn't probably like that very much either. So you want to have the child to feel a little bit in control of the situation and know what's happening. So have them do this on your face first. But all I do is I touch the top lip in between the middle of the top lip and the corner of the lip 
and I just sort of push up on it to see if it moves back to a resting position. You should push up on the lift a little bit and it should move right back to a resting position. And I do that on the top, on the two sides, and on the bottom, on the two sides of the lip. And on the bottom, you just pull down and see if the lip pops back to the resting position. You just wanna make sure that if you push the lip down a little bit, that it doesn't just stay in a down, lax position, that it does kind of move back and up. And that's normal. If you see that happening, that's just very normal. So you just wanna assess overall, how's the tone of the lip overall? What is the strength of the lip overall? And then your test and coordination with the OOE, OOE. So those are the lips. You want to be very specific, though. When you're looking at the lips, you don't want to just assess open and close. There are really just some specific things you really want to make sure of that they are doing and they have adequate movement and strength. Like I said before, if you don't have good jaw strength, then you really can't have great lip strength because the jaw provides the foundation. So if the child doesn't have a good jaw strength, then don't expect them to do the lip stuff because they're probably not going to be able to do it so great. So there goes that with the jaw again. See how important that thing is? All right, next we're moving on to the cheeks. Now there's not a lot of assessment you do with the cheeks because the cheeks are really stabilizers. So you're not expecting them to move too much. Now let me pause for just a second. If you aren't getting anything from this podcast, I hope you're at least getting that you have to be very specific and deliberate about each part of the oral motor assessment. So just because I said for the cheeks that they don't move too much doesn't mean that you don't assess them and that they're not important to assess. So you do need to assess to make sure that number one, for symmetry, to make sure that one side isn't slack and one side's tone. You do want to check for symmetry in there. You want to make sure that they are doing their job, which is to stabilize for the lips and to stabilize a little bit for the jaw. And you want to make sure that the child is able to keep air in the oral cavity and it's not a cheek issue. So that's important. This is also important when you're assessing the jaw. So you want to make sure the cheeks are doing their job. They're good stabilizers. There's no asymmetry, and there's no difference in tone in the two sides. The one side is not high tone while the other is low tone. That's what you want to look at with the cheeks. But another important note about the cheeks is this. If the child has a lot of, I say, oral sensitivity or defensiveness inside their mouth, you really need to work on desensitizing the cheeks as well. People usually work on the tongue and they work on introducing lots of textures to the child, but you really desensitize those cheeks. Think about it like this. You know, if you had a sucker before and you put it on the inside of the cheek, then you, when you're done with the sucker, your, your tongue fills the inside of your cheek and it just feels strange. Not a lot touches the inside of your cheek, you know? I mean, if you get food pocketed between your gums and your cheeks, it's an immediate, like, fix that problem. Anything there is weird feeling to you. You don't like that. So a child who has a lot of oral sensitivities, you really, really have to work on those cheeks. And kids don't like it. I want to tell you that right now. Nobody likes it, really. No child likes it. If the child really does like it and doesn't mind you touching it inside their cheeks or touching on their cheeks and stuff, that could also be another red flag. They should mind it a little bit. They shouldn't mind it too much. Like, you should be able to get them over it, but they shouldn't not mind it at all. So that brings us to the tongue. So we've assessed the lips, we've assessed the cheeks, and now we're ready for the tongue. The tongue's a little bit harder for younger kids. When I say younger, two-year-olds, three-year-olds really still have trouble with this. Four-year-olds are getting good at it, and five-year-olds and up. So I do work on a little bit more tongue assessment at age four than I do younger than that. So here's what a child should be able to do, and here's what you need to do to assess the tongue. The first thing is, can they stick the tongue out? And can they bring the tongue back in their mouth? So I just have them do that. That's always fun, silly, fun faces. We do that in front of the mirror. That's easy. Can they lateralize the tongue? And when you want them to lateralize it to each side of the mouth, I usually stick the tongue out of the mouth to lateralize it. You shouldn't see them sort of scraping it on the bottom lip. 
they should be able to move their tongue independent of the jaw. And we talked about this a lot in the jaw podcast. So go back, like I said earlier, go back and check that one out. But they should not scrape their tongue and they shouldn't be using their bottom lip or the jaws. What they're really using, they're not using their lips. You're usually using the jaw to have them move the tongue laterally. So they should be able to separate that tongue from the jaw. The other thing they should be able to do is open their mouth, open the jaw wide, and lift their tongue up to the alveolar ridge. They should be able to separate, again, their tongue from the jaw to do that. So we've talked about they should be able to move the tongue laterally. Well, stick the tongue out, pull the tongue back in. Move the tongue laterally, move the tongue up to the alveolar ridge without the jaw. They should also be able to take the tongue and move it to the side of the center of the top lip on both the right and the left, and the same thing for the bottom lip, both on the right and the left. They should be able to do that without moving the jaw at all, without the cheeks moving, without the lips moving, just moving the tongue independently all over. The other thing you want to test for is see if they can do da 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 sounds and rapid succession and k k k k k sounds in rapid succession. And I'm sure everybody learned in graduate school about putaka putaka putaka, but you want to do a get a p sound, a p d d sound, and a k k sound. Can they do a p d k p d k p d k? You know, can they do it? Now that sound, I don't assess until they're like five or six, but can they do that at five or six? If they can do all that, then hey, congratulations, they're normal. If they can't, then no, they don't have normal movement. I'm not saying they're not normal, just not normal movement of the tongue. All right, there are a few other things that you need to look for with the tongue. One is, in the mouth, is the tongue flaccid? No movement, you can't get the tongue to move side to side, up and down. Really, there's no movement. Is the child not producing consonant sounds? Are they just mostly coming out with vowels? Are they non-vocal? You know, those are what you see a lot of times with a child whose tongue is flaccid. Also, if they're eating, do they drink a bottle? And when they drank a bottle, did they sound like they were munching, like a where they were losing a lot of seal on the bottle and the nipple. Those are all questions for the parent if the child has a flaccid tongue about eating. And those are also things to look for in the speech sound. They probably won't be producing a lot of different sounds because the tongue's not really moving. So you want to check for a flaccid tongue. You also want to see if the child's holding the tongue back in the mouth a lot. For some reason, sometimes for kids who really aren't articulating clearly, or maybe they can do sounds in isolation or individual sounds in words for the most part. They sound pretty good. But in conversation, the speech just falls apart. You know exactly who I'm talking about. You've all seen kids like this. But sometimes those kids will hunch their tongue in the back of their mouth. Sometimes those kids will also hold their tongue and the tongue's not really flaccid, but they'll hold it sort of down on the jaw in a, like a flaccid jaw position where they're just not really moving their tongue much. So they'll either hunch it back in their mouth or they sort of keep it flat on the jaw and look for both of those things in those kids. But usually a conversation, their speech falls apart. They also could be swallowing some foods whole without really forming a good bolus. So check on the feeding stuff too. But those are two things to look for with the tongue. Another thing with the tongue to look for is if one side has got a lot more tone than the other. And a lot of times what will happen is those kids are sort of pushing their tongue to the weaker side. The stronger side with the stronger muscle is taking over and pushing the weaker side. So a lot of times those children will always have their tongue like laterally in their mouth. They won't ever have it like in the middle position of their mouth. So look for that. A lot of times what will accompany that is like the whole side of their face is less tone on the weaker side. So you'll also see like their face is droopy or saggy on that side. The lips are sort of draggy on that side, so you'll kind of see all of that. It might look a child who may have had a stroke or some kids, not usually kids who have a stroke in utero, but sometimes children who had stroke after 
at some point in their life, may, they may look like that. You don't see that very frequently, though. Um, sometimes you'll see children who maybe are missing their orbicularis oris, the muscle around the lips, and their tongue looks normal, though. So that's one thing to look for. Their tongue looks normal, but the lips are droopy on one side and the cheeks are droopy on one side. They might be missing that muscle. Usually those are diagnosed. They come into you with that diagnosis. But just getting the wheels thinking, getting the wheels turning, just talking about all possibilities. So those are some of the things to think about. I'm off the topic of the tongue. I've moved on to lips and cheeks, and now I'm back to the tongue. So if you're following me, that's where we are. So now the last thing, if you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking, oh my gosh, Hayden, you haven't even talked about the kids who are protruding their tongue out of the front of their mouth. I hadn't forgotten this group. I know this group. These are some of my most favorite people are in this group. A lot of those little people with Down syndrome fit in this group. Anyway, not all of them. Lots of kids with various diagnoses. Some other genetic anomalies may have kids where they're hanging their tongue out of the front of their mouth or their tongue seems overly large for their mouth. Um, I'm not really sure that their tongue is actually overly large for their mouth. I just think they've got a weak jaw. I think they've got the cheeks are weak, the lips are weak, poor muscle tone all around. And so their tongue is usually out of their mouth, protruding outwards. But the tongue just matches the lips and cheeks and jaw. And actually matches the rest of their body. A lot of times there's low tone everywhere. So don't forget to look at the whole child and kids like this. Sometimes kids who have an open mouth breathing posture will begin to posture and sometimes it's just bad habit with the tongue sort of forward in the mouth or out extending past the lip border. Sometimes it's just a bad habit and kids will learn how to posture like this in a resting position. So for all of those kids, same thing. Just take note of that. Usually the tongue is like less muscle tone, less movement, and there's various ways to work on that. So speaking of which, how do you work on that? So let's start with the tongue, and then we'll work it backwards, cheeks and then lips. So for the tongue, here's what to think of first. Here's what you want to use to your advantage. You know when you're at the dentist and they've got stuff in your mouth, it's all you can do to like not follow that little mirror thing gear around in your mouth with the tongue. You have to like force yourself. Don't move your tongue in that direction. You have to say that to yourself in your head. Well, you can use that same sort of just natural instinct to do that with little kids. So what you want to do is use the nook brush. And when I say nook brush, I'm saying N-U-K brush. If you don't know what a nook brush is, then you can go to our website at www.pediatricdt.com and click on the tab that says therapy products and toys. And once you're there, then click on the oral motor toys and you'll find a nook brush, N-U-K brush. And these are like little nubby brushes and they've got little rubber nubby things on the end of them. So there's a lot of nice sensory input. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll take the nook brush and I'll tap it on the side of the tongue and then move it over to the cheek. So I'm stimulating the inside of the cheek and I'm stimulating the side of the tongue to have the child help follow the tongue over to that one side. So I'll tap it a couple times, move it over to the cheek, and then I do it on the other side. Tap the tongue a couple times, move it over to the cheek, and try to get the tongue to follow the nook brush over. I also will rub the side of the tongue to stimulate the side of the tongue to help them lateralize it, rub both sides of the tongue, probably five times at the most. You don't want to rub the poor child's tongue raw, but I'll just do that and, and just to sort of stimulate that side of the tongue. But the positive thing about moving it over to the cheek is that you also stimulate the inside of the cheek. So for some of those kids who are really orally defensive and don't like a lot of in their mouth, Rubbing it on the inside of the cheek really helps decrease that oral sensitivity. The other thing I'll do for kids with a flaccid tongue is I'll tap on the center of the tongue with the nook brush, not to gag them, because 
a lot of times these kids don't have a hyperactive gag or anything. In fact, sometimes that's a problem. They don't have any gag. But I'll just tap on the tongue, and I'll stroke down and forward. So I might tap and then stroke down and forward. Tap a couple times, stroke down and forward. And I do this about three or four times again. No more than that, really, because I don't want to rub the poor child's tongue raw. But I do want to... Um, tap the center of the tongue and try to get a central groove so they can form a bolus just to work on some movement. At the same time I'm doing this, I provide jaw stability because I don't want to be tapping on the tongue and that move the jaw open every single time. So you want to provide the jaw with some stability if the jaw is not very stable on its own while you're tapping on the tongue. The other thing I'll do is I'll tap the top of the mouth of the alveolar ridge with the nook brush and that helps to sort of stimulate the top of the mouth and increase some tongue tip elevation. So I'll tap the top of the alveolar ridge to help move the tongue up in that direction. And just sometimes that little bit of stimulation will help the child move the tongue to different places in the mouth. And all those are points of articulation. Well, Touching the tongue on the top of the alveolar ridge is a point of articulation. Moving sideways to the cheeks, not so much. But laterally moving the tongue up, you need to move the sides of the tongue up to produce an R. That is. So all of those are activities that I do to work on some increased tongue movement in the mouth. And just a little bit of that goes a long way with kids. And usually I'll make those recommendations. I'll give them a note brush to the family, have them take it home. And I'll usually have them do those recommendations at home when the child's brushing their teeth because they're already in front of the mirror and it makes good sense. If it's a little child, a young kid, then I'll maybe recommend it at different times of the day just for oral motor play because little kids think this is fun. And I'll always pair it with speech sounds. And it can be any speech sound, really. So you could also work on a lot of good language, a lot of good your turn, my turn, reciprocal sound play, just a lot of good pragmatic social involvement. It really also encourages a lot of communication initiation. So the child has to really initiate to make a sound and the parent initiates back and back and forth. So it's great play that way too. So you kill lots of birds with that stone, a lot of good stuff there. So now if the tongue is extending anteriorly past the lip border out front, then another thing you want to do is provide really good jaw support, use your nook brush, and kind of push the tongue, provide really good pressure on the tongue, push down and then back in the mouth. So you really want to try to move that tongue back in the mouth with the nook brush, and then you can work on the pa ba ma ma by having to help move the jaw. So you're working on some jaw stability there, but you're also working on the tongue and moving the tongue and kind of getting back that resting position. You want to, each time you go to work on a speech sound with a child who is really extending their tongue out past the lip border, you really want to get that tongue back in and down and their resting position to a neutral normal. So that means their lips are closed, but not clenched closed, not tight closed. Their jaw is closed, but again, not clenched. It's just a normal resting lip position. Kind of, you can assess and know what it is, but just like close your lips and sit there for a second. That's normal. And you want to try to get that with a child, like with Down syndrome or another child who has their mouth, it's sort of in that open mouth posture. Now, again, not the kids that can't breathe out of their nose. That's medical management. You got to handle that with the doctor first. I'm talking about the kids that can breathe out of their nose just fine. So you want to do that, but you want to get that tongue in with the nook brush and I do that and then you want to do this several times a day so the child starts to feel normal 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 understand what normal is so you're sort of retraining the brain retraining motor movements that the child has and you want to get back to that normal position also for kids who are extending their tongue outside the lip border 
a lot, a lot of jaw work to work on jaw strength and coordination. So listen to the jaw podcast. Okay, so next, what if the child is hunching the tongue in the back of their mouth? Well, for them, you got to work on getting that little tongue out and flat and sort of decrease the tone. So for those little people, again, those kids might be the one with a hyperactive gag, and maybe they're hunching their tongue because their gag is so hyperactive. Could be. Kids protect themselves, so that could be it. So for them, you want to start on the lips, assess where the gag is, and to start with the inside of the cheek. But you don't really want to move that nook brush too far back in their mouth because you don't want to make them gag again and then just help continue this whole process that you've got going on. So you want to slowly desensitize in their mouth with this nook brush. And a lot of times I have the kids help me with this. So I have their hand on the nook brush and my hands on the nook brush because you really want to develop some trust. They have to be able to trust you because for whatever reason, they're protecting themselves. A lot of that hunching, they're protecting themselves. So you slowly move the nook brush on the tongue, you know, session after session. It can take a while. The more the work the parents do at home, the better off you're going to be. So you can get that nook brush on the tongue. And I use a lot of vibration. Once I can get the nook brush on the tongue, I'll hold the jaw. So again, I always hold the jaw, provide jaw support there kind of whether they need it or not, because it helps me kind of anchor too. And then I'll take the nook brush and put it on the tongue, and I'll stroke down and forward with some pretty decent amount of pressure there, down and forward, not to hurt them. And then I'll also do some light vibration. So I'll just have the nook brush in my hand, and I'll just move my hand back and forth, and so I can just sort of vibrate on top of their tongue a little bit to sort of help decrease the amount of tone, get it down, flat, central groove, that kind of thing. Another thing I might use for vibration if I can't wiggle my hand fast enough, which is basically what I'm trying to do, is I have also can hold a Z-Vibe in my hand. A Z-Vibe is a type of oral motor device that will just sort of vibrate. And that sometimes I'll hold that in my hand at the same time I'm holding a note brush, and that makes it vibrate. Or sometimes like those little vibrating pins that you can buy, I'll hold those in my hand at the same time I'm holding a note brush. I don't put that in the child's mouth, but I will put the note brush in their mouth because sometimes too much of that, it can be too much vibration. So I just have to sort of judge it based on on the child a little bit, but you really want to stroke down and forward, and vibration helps sort of get that tongue moving down and forward. And then you really want to work on lateralization, helping to move that tongue side to side, tongue tip elevation, really getting that tongue moving forward in a very functional way and get their resting position so their tongue is in neutral with their lips closed. So work on their resting position also there. That'll help with the R. If a child's having a hard time with an R, that could be one of their issues that they're having, holding their tongue back in their mouth. Okay, so that's the tongue protrusion, tongue humping, kind of in their back of their mouth. Now to work on if a child's having trouble lateralizing their tongue, again, jaw, assess the jaw, assess the jaw, can't say that enough, make sure they've got a lot of jaw stability, and then for tongue lateralization, you can do that activity that I said where you push the side of the tongue and then move the nook brush to the lateral inside the cheeks, so the tongue goes over there and touches the side of the cheek. You can also, I do fun games like, you know, if the child doesn't have a peanut allergy, you can put peanut butter on the side of their mouth and have them lick it off. That's the oldie buddy goody technique. been using that forever. You can take a sucker, put it on the inside of their cheek, the inside of their cheek, rather than the outside of the lips, put that sucker on the inside of the cheek like a little tiny dum-dum sucker and you're holding the stick on the dum-dum sucker rub it on the inside of their cheek and they're going to every time want to move their tongue over there to lick that candy off the side of their cheek because it feels weird that's just not a normal feeling thing like a dum-dum sucker on the inside of your cheek that's a good technique i use for that so anything fun i can get the child to move their tongue side to side laterally but again i provide jaw stability so for the kids who don't have a lot of jaw stability and you're working on it but you're working on tongue lateralization at the same time provide that jaw stability by holding their jaw with your hand 
Now for cheeks, I've sort of talked about that already because we talked about moving the sucker on the inside of the cheeks, work on sort of desensitizing the cheeks. That's my main thing that I work on with the cheeks. If there's a lot of low tone, I might do some tapping on the outside of their cheeks to sort of wake up their face, you know, a lot of low tone. I might also do some stretching on the outside of the cheek. So I'll take my thumb and I'll rub it in a circular motion on the outside of their cheek to sort of get that cheek moving around a little bit. And at the same time that I'm doing, this is a Deborah Beckman oral motor strategy. So you can look up the Deborah Beckman oral motor protocol or go to her class and she'll show you this too. But the outside, when I'm moving my thumb in a circle on the outside of their cheek, I'm also moving my finger in a circle on the inside of their cheek. And that is all Deborah Beckman right there. Good class. I recommend somebody go on. So I work on sort of some massage. That's what that is on the cheek. Massage, tapping. I do vibration on the cheek also to sort of increase tone, help with flaccid, low-tone cheeks. A lot of that goes a long way again to help with stabilizing the lips and the jaw, helping the cheeks do that. Okay, so now moving on to the lips. This is so much fun. I love this stuff. It makes me very excited. Okay, moving on to the lips. Now, a couple of different things you can do. So for like little people, when you're working on blowing or ooh and getting e and trying to work on that, you know, back and forth, back and forth, ooh, e movement, then I, a lot of times I'll use my hand on their face. Now I always, always, always put their hand on my face first and I'll have them, okay, we'll help Hayden do her exercises. So and I'll have them move my lips in a ooh, e, ooh, e, back and forth way in front of a mirror. And we talk about my fish face and we talk about, you know, oh, I'm doing my big lips for lipstick or whatever. Um, sometimes I've done chapstick if the parents are okay with that to put lipstick on when you do ooh, because again, it's got to be fun. And I do it to me first. So I put their hand on my face and have them do ooh, e, and then I do them. Ooh, e. I get so much more success by letting them do it on me first and me do it on them. I cannot tell y'all how much more success I get with that. So do that. Let them have some control and do it to you first. And fun faces in the mirror makes it a lot more fun. It's also good language stimulation. Lots of sounds come out of that and they think it's cool. So it's a good time. Good time had by all there. So I do that. So I just really just sort of manually help facilitate and move the lips from you know, forward to ooh and to e, back in the right position, kind of how I want them. At the same time, I'm sort of putting a finger underneath their jaw to provide the jaw support there a little bit if I can, sort of my pinky finger, and I put my thumb on one side of their cheeks and my other three fingers on the other side of their cheeks and move it like ooh, e, and put my um, pinky under their jaw just to provide some jaw support there. That helps a little bit. So I do that for the ooh, e sounds, and then again, like I said, lipstick is always good. Let's bling it up a little bit. That's always fun, positive. We'll do kissy faces on the mirror. Just whatever motivates their child, I'll do it. You know, I'm not proud. Anyway, also, if you've got kids who you're working on PB and M sounds or just lip approximations, getting them to p, p, m, and really close their lips. Good, maybe these are the kids that have been mouth breathers and now they've gotten medical management, so now they can actually close their mouth and breathe. <laughs> then again, their normal is not able to do that, so you may have to sort of work on teaching them how to do that. So for them, a lot of times this technique actually came from my sister. Good idea. She takes a coffee straw, and I've used this now, like one of those little tiny coffee straws, and she'll have the child hold that in their lips, not in between the teeth though. So the teeth can't be involved because then you got the jaw involved. You don't want that. You want just lips. So you put the coffee straw right there in between the lips and I get them to say like a mmm because sometimes mmm helps them just think lips. It helps me think of it. So I have the time I notice I'm going mmm as I'm trying to get the child to do this. So now I've just got them doing it too. And then hold that coffee straw on their lips. 
a lot of times I'll have them doing that while they go back to circle time and sit, and I'll have the whole class do it. It's not going to hurt any of them, but I don't want to single, like, poor little Johnny John out if that's who I'm working with. But I'll have everybody in the class do it. So we'll make, like, our bee buzzing noises, like, mmm, and then we'll have all our coffee straws in our mouth, and we'll do it during circle time. And a lot of times the kids who are having their adenoids out or tonsils out, they'll be in that three- and four-year-old range. And so it really sort of teaches them, and the mmm sound helps sort of vibrate the lips. It helps them feel it better and just encourages lip movement. So a lot of times I'll do that. That's for my sister. And then for the kids that really have a hard time approximating on that tiny, tiny coffee straw, I'll start with a big McDonald's straw and work my way down. So another little tidbit there with that. So for other kids working on PB&Ms or other issues with PB&Ms that the coffee straw doesn't fix, a lot of times I'll use the Deborah Beckman oral motor protocol. Her uh, sort of manual techniques and stretching and vibration techniques that she teaches in her class are great to work on this. A lot of massage. I've taken some of the Deborah Beckman stuff and modified it a little bit to make it my own. And I'll use a lot of massage and sort of hand over mouth, I guess if you want to call it manipulation. But again, I have the child do it to me first, and then I do that to them, and I get a lot more participation that way. So those are the activities I do for the lips, cheeks, and tongue. And we talked about assessment. We talked about treatment and treatment strategies, what to look for, what's normal, what's abnormal, and then a few other little tidbits were thrown in there. So I hope that everyone enjoyed it. I had a great time. Like I said, I love talking about stuff like this. And if nothing else, the main takeaway I hope that everybody got from this is when you're doing an oral peripheral exam, oral motor exam, same thing, when you're doing that, you have to really assess each part of the oral motor mechanism, the lips, the tongue, the cheeks, the jaw. They have to all really be assessed and looked at individually and then put them all back together and how they all work together and then the overall outcome. So don't just do a Goldman Fristo as a speech assessment that speech therapists use for testing for articulation, but don't just do a Goldman Fristo and come up with your goals and plan that you want to do with the child with that. Really do a good oral motor assessment and think about what the child is doing and what the child's not doing and how that impacts speech and impacts language, impacts feeding. So I hope you've gotten some good information from this. I've enjoyed spending this time with you, and I love talking about this type of stuff. This is just nothing but good time fun for me. And I hope you're able to also use this information in therapy sessions that you have today, next week, with any of your little people that you see in therapy. Hope you're able to get some good takeaways to use. I appreciate you spending some time with me, and I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 